most observers today, and I don't think we've addressed the elephant in the room, uh, that we painted the building. If you <laughs> didn't know we were doing that, and actually one of the colors is actually elephant ear, so it's literally um, the elephant uh, in the room. And as I've mentioned these last couple of weeks, we got just some, some feedback that our outside wasn't all that welcoming. And over the years, I had people who would come in and be like, it's actually really lively in here, but like, it doesn't really tell the story. And so we had a consultant who basically said, yeah, you got to work on that. So um, I'm so thankful for everybody who was, was part of that. It was a, a lot of work. Um, Janelle Coburn and Gabrielle Pasanchin and, and then Carrie Williams helped to pick the paint. She was like the final guru on the paint. I think it looks fantastic. Um, and look, she looks kind of matching the paint today. Oh, she's over there uh, in the corner, a little, little shimmery. Um, and we, we just want, the reason that we did this isn't to make our church look cool. Um, it's because we want to be a welcoming place. We want to be a home in LA for people. And we want those who aren't here yet. And this is one of the things I'm, I'm excited about, this is one of the first times in my ministry, I've been here um, for 11 years, that I feel like it's like something that is completely for outsiders. Like, painting the building is not for us at all. I mean, though it maybe look a little bit better when you're driving up, but it's for people who aren't here yet. And I'm really excited about that because we've done a lot of work and done a lot of stuff to try and make ourselves a place where people uh, would feel welcome. And this is a way of announcing, like, we're, we're here for you. We're here for our community. So if you could just pray for us in that. And as I mentioned the last few weeks, we have uh, some uh, reserve funds that we're using uh, for that. But if you feel passionately that you want to give uh, to that project, I'm not going to stop you. Um, so you can give online or just let us know that you'd like to give to help out with that project. We are trying to make ourselves a welcoming place and the brick didn't look all that welcoming previously. So thank you to everybody who was, was part of that. It was a real um, communal decision and something that we worked hard on together. So thank you all. As Lars mentioned, we'll have a community group tonight at 4 p.m. I'd love for you to be involved. Let me know if you'd like uh, information on that. I'd love to have you participate. We get together for, for a meal and get to talk about uh, a Bible story together and, and share uh, in a time of fellowship. So we would love to have you participate in that uh, this evening. We're continuing our series called uh, Fulfilled, where we're thinking about what it means to be fulfilled, not just like one day, you know, you'll be united with God in heaven. But I have been trying to say in this series that I think that Jesus offers you the best way to live right now, not off in the future, that if you follow the ways of Jesus, the ways that Jesus lived um, in the world, like you'll live a better life now. Like if you start to live in that way and live the way that Jesus calls us to. And we've been talking about this one story when um, Jesus comes up to a man who is blind, and Jesus says, well, what is it that you want? And Jesus, uh, the guy says, oh, I want to have my vision restored, and Jesus actually does that. But the question that I've been stopping at is just generally for all of us, like, what do you want? I think Jesus would ask us that question. And the times that I've messed things up the most in my life is when I've not really answered that question. Like, what is it that I really want? out of life? Do I really want to be a good husband? Do I really want to be a good, a good son? Do I want to be a good follower of Jesus? Or was it that I really want? I would ask you the same question as well. And I think this topic that we're talking about today is one that we mess up more than any when it comes to like really what it is that we want from life. The Forbes magazine uh, has a quote that says this, that for um, the, a lot of people, the pursuit of a healthy work-life balance seems like an impossible goal. And you're probably raising your hand already. Yeah, that seems impossible. With so many of us torn between juggling heavy workloads, managing relationships and family responsibilities, squeezing in outside interests, it's no surprise that more than one in four Americans describe themselves 
as super stressed. And you might think it seems like it should be two or three out of four Americans that describe themselves as super stressed because there's just always a lot going on. We're all busy. We have stuff that is like constantly on our minds and we don't necessarily have ways to take breaks uh, very easily and things just seem to get busier and busier. There was this thought that with email, like everyone was going to have a very short work week. Uh, and that didn't work out for everybody. In fact, all it is is like constantly telling you stuff, and there's like all of this information that doesn't really necessarily help us slow down and pause. And I think when we think about that idea, work-life balance, we're just trying to find that, right? And maybe you're in a place that you have found a little bit of it, but you're like trying to figure out what exactly does that look like? And I found a great gift this week that I just think describes exactly where we all happen to be. And this is it. Like you were, okay, fulfilling salary. Like, and okay, you get two out of it. Then you're like, it's always this like constant, like, all right, I got those two. And then, and for a lot of us in here, we would say, I have zero of three currently right now. You know, I have like, you're lucky if you get two out of three. How, how do you get that two out of three? And so we find this is like this constant thing, and we're just trying so hard to get it. And you get like one out of three, and then you maybe get the second one, and then it messes up the third. And it's so difficult to find that. And so I think we start to believe that, you know, if I got that, then my life would be perfect. If I had like the correct work-life balance, then everything would be perfect. And there might be a time in your life when you strike a good balance with that. Maybe for a couple years, you know, you kind of get some things figured out and you maybe figure out some of your priorities. But as you think about those who you would think would have like this down pat, some of the celebrities that we see in our world who they could just kind of chill and do nothing for the rest of their lives if they wanted to, yet we see them in magazines and everything gets messed up somehow. We think that that's going to be the thing that solves our lives is figuring out that work-life balance. And again, you like hit this one thing down and another head pops up like it's whack-a-mole basically. And you're trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. But what I think God invites us into is a place of rest while everything isn't perfect. A space that helps us to connect with something deeper while it's not always right as you maybe make some strides in some of these areas to find a peace in your life. And it's not all perfect yet, but God continues to invite you forward. I read the passage for our communion thought this morning. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is a passage that I know for me I could read almost every day, and it would reach past my facades and kind of deep into my heart. And I recognize this right now is the good news that I need. Come to me, and I will give you rest. What does it look like for us to pursue the rest of God? The peace that God has for our hearts in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our imperfect lives, in the midst of a world that's just constantly grabbing for our attention. I love technology and the ability to 
text with people and communicate, but just think about how much stress and anxiety that adds to your life. It's cool that you can be connected with family and friends on a certain level, but then you're like waiting for the news, right? It's like, I have a doctor's appointment today. And you're like waiting by your phone. When are they going to tell me? When's it going to happen? Whereas back in the day, you used to have to like wait until they would call you or just wait until you saw them again. But it's this constant update that we always have about everybody. Like our whole world, we're just constantly being updated about how this is. And I think it causes us to not necessarily ever find rest in the midst of the lives that we have. And God calls us, I think, forward to really recognize what it is that he is offering. God's offering for us is rest in the midst of this stressful world. A place of peace, even when things aren't perfect. We see this, I think, from the very beginning of Scripture. So at the end of Genesis chapter 1, then into Genesis chapter 2, we see that God has done work and work and work and and, and created the world uh, in these six days. But I want you to pay close attention to what he does on the seventh day. So God saw that he had, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So for the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So what does it tell us that God does on the seventh day? Rests. But I think it's interesting to to note a little bit more. It doesn't just stop by saying rest. It says rests from the work. I think that's an important distinction and something that we need to recognize a little bit. Because what it's saying is not just that God took a nap, that God like, got onto the most comfortable bed possible and just like took a long nap from the work that God had been doing. It's resting from the work. And I think that's significant and really different. Though if you practice a, a sort of Sabbath mentality, it might be that you take a nap and that's awesome. Like I'm not saying no nap, although I'm not really much of a napper. Most preachers like nap on Sunday afternoons. Man, he's always like, what? what's wrong with you? You don't do that. Um, but uh, we, somehow I don't, I don't do that. But what is, I think, important in this understanding is you like think about more of what it means that he rested from the work. That's a different kind of rest than just sleeping. Resting from the work is saying, okay, I'm over here doing all this stuff for these six days, six days. I'm doing all these things, all these things, these important things that are like really going to be significant and important. And now I'm setting that down and doing something different. What it is is an active sense of rest. There's an author named John Walton who says, and an understanding of this that the ancients would have had is that God steps back and says, I'm not going to do that anymore for this next day. What I'm going to do is just sit here and enjoy it. Basically, I've created this world, and you can think of the seventh day as, ah, look at what I've done. Look at what I've created. Let me enjoy this for a minute. What if your life could look like that? And I know, again, you're very busy. You have a lot going on, work-life balance. It's hard to figure out. But most people would look at the way that we live, like historically, and even in the world that we live in today, and they would say, you have two days off? 
are you kidding me? Hold on, hold on, hold on. You get paid enough that you have two days that you can do nothing? That's unbelievable. And I know for most of us, it's like we're barely like catching up in those two days, and it's like getting back into work, or maybe you don't have those two days off in the way that you live. But what if you could take some time, and maybe it's not a whole day right now, because that's a big commitment. But what if you said, you know, for, for three hours on Saturday in the morning, or for a few hours on, on Sunday, I'm just going to disconnect from all the things I've been doing. I'm going to just lay low. I'm not going to check my email. I'm not going to define myself by all these things that are constantly like coming up to me. I'm going to just say, all right, just like God does, I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, but now I'm going to step back from that and actively then think, okay, what do I enjoy about what I've done? And how can I now enter into this? How can I then say, all right, I want to enter in and I want to find joy in the things that I've created. So I'm not just constantly spinning. And this is a really hard mindset to grasp. Like the Israelites, when they're released from slavery, as they're wandering in the desert, some of the things that they first say is, hey, it was better for us. At least we got to eat potted meat back in Egypt. And it's like, if you're missing spam, you got a real problem. But um, the like, at least we got to eat potted meat back, back in Egypt. And it's like, but you're now free from slavery. I mean, come on now, guys. But it's so easy for us to define ourselves by our work and what's happening, even if it's oppressive. That we don't necessarily have the way to, to stop and rest from the work. Again, it's not just sleeping. I think it's better than that. It's saying, all right, I am going to actively ask God, how can I hit pause? How can I reflect? How can I enjoy this stuff? So I'm not just constantly spinning. A book that I was reading recently said that we spend so much of our time, whatever it is, and some of this is good. We have ambition. We want to do good things in the world. We want to get promoted. We want to have like a a, a name sometimes. And so we're working so hard and so much of our lives is spent climbing this ladder of success. And then eventually if we recognize, like, this isn't necessarily where I need to be, we recognize that the ladder of success is up against the wrong wall. That we've been climbing and climbing and climbing to this point. In reality, we have moments when we say, what was this all for? And we think about this concept of rest and actively resting and being willing to say, all right, here are these things that I'm working on, and yeah, you can work really hard for these six days a week, but Again, maybe just start with a few hours on a certain day and say, all right, I'm going to now step back from that stuff and say, how can I actively enjoy the world that I've created? How can I participate like God would ask me to? Because the problem is we have this mindset and we say, you know, like, I'm going to find happiness when? You know, once I'm able to, like, like, when I move to that place or if I could only be back home or if I could only, we can kind of fill in the blank. But the problem is we recognize at some point in our lives, wherever you go, there you are. Some of you have moved, and the problems have come with you because you're part of the problem. And for others, it's about circumstances. It's saying, you know, when these pressures resolve, once once I get through this really stressful season, like the fall is really stressful, once I get through this stressful season, then I'll find rest. 
or you have some relational issues, and it's like really hard for you. It's like tense in your family right now. Once I get through this family problem and we have a conversation, then I'm going to find rest. Or whatever it is, once I do this or once I do that, then I'm all going to find rest. But the problem with that mentality is it makes it that the issues lie outside of us. Instead of just asking your own heart. Because I believe that true rest comes from the inside out. It comes from us saying, what is keeping me from resting now? Would you be willing to ask that question this week? What is keeping me from resting now? And then, if you could do that, if you could work and work and work and then hit pause for a minute and say, all right, you know, I'm going to start with just a couple hours on a Saturday. I'm just going to turn off my phone or do something to kind of step out of the life that I'm constantly living that's so busy. What if you could just ask yourself the question for a few hours a week, what brings me joy? Or what brings my family joy? And I'm going to do that. Instead of thinking about all this stuff that constantly is on my mind, I think our world is sorely lacking in joy. We're so busy. We have so much stuff. We have so many things that are on our mind all the time. What if we could be a group of people that says, you know what, I'm just going to focus on joy and enjoying what I've created with my life, making those who are most important to me a priority. Hebrews says this this way, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews is telling us there's this rest that is available. And it's not that it's easy. It's being willing to, like, allow God to penetrate your heart, to not live in a fake reality. Everything is laid bare in God's sight. And that means at times, sometimes asking hard questions, God, what are you convicting me of right now? What do I need to change? But then also asking that question, God, where, where do I find joy? What is it that I could participate in that would allow me to enter more and more into your rest? If we were to describe the, the gospel, I would think, especially in, in 2019 America, generally we would say that it's about sin forgiveness. And I think sin forgiveness is absolutely important. We actually talked about that last week, how important it is that we would walk in forgiveness, that God comes to us, and Jesus is an example of this, comes to people and says, your sins are forgiven. And that's so profound and so significant. But the problem is it misses the final step. That the gospel isn't just sin forgiveness. That the gospel is your sins are forgiven— so you are at peace with God and at peace with others. That's the part that we're missing. Your sins are forgiven so that you are at peace with God and at peace with other people. It's not just there. And so when we ask people to, to consider getting baptized, when we ask people about submitting their, their lives to Christ, what ultimately we are inviting them into is not a get-out-of-hell-free card 
but hopefully a more peaceful existence. A life that, yes, your sins are forgiven, so you are at peace with God and at peace with other people. There is a Sabbath rest available to those who will follow God. Being able to rest in the life that God has for us is to be able to say at times, I don't have to figure it all out. I'm not the center of the world. The weight of the world that is on me, and yes, it's hard. I have these six days a week that it's on me, but every once in a while I can take it off and say it's going to be all right. The book of Ecclesiastes would tell us, go look at the mountains, which we have behind us. Those mountains are going to be here long after you die. And all those problems that you're focused on, the things that is raising your stress and anxiety level, it's not that they aren't real, and it's not that they aren't important. But praise God, you're not the center of the world. And God has worked through people, through stressful, anxiety-filled situations forever. We aren't the first people in human history to feel this way. Would you find a way to enter the rest of God? And as Hebrews invites us to, to allow God in some moments to convict us, to allow our hearts to grow, to be moved, to ask those questions, God, what brings me a special kind of joy? What are the things that you are calling me to How could I enter into this Sabbath rest that you are inviting me to? A few years ago, I was out of town for a few weeks, and we had a a couple of guest preachers who came. And when I came back, everyone was telling me how great a job they did. I was like, thanks, but like, (laughs) you guys didn't miss me at all, did you? That's That's how I was thinking. And in some ways, that's really healthy. And it's good for us all to recognize. Think about this question. How many of you know who the preacher of the Glendale Church of Christ was in 1999? Go ahead and raise your hand. We got about three people who aren't really sure. You kind of know generally who it might be. Yeah, who was the preacher of the Glendale Church of Christ in 1999? We have about three or four people. And there will be a point when I'm gone, you know, 20 years after I'm done, whether by death or firing or whatever it is, (laughs) that somebody could ask the same question. And there might be three or four people who go, yeah, was that that Brian guy? I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure. And really all of our professions, we could probably say the same thing, right? That it's not that the work that you're doing isn't important, but someday someone else is going to take it over. And hopefully you're doing a good job of passing that baton to the next generation. But be careful about becoming so consumed and, and, and so worried about the, this, the work that you're doing that you don't ever like have a chance to, to sit back and enjoy and say, all right, God, but you call me to something deeper. God, my identity in you is what is most important. Now, if you end up getting married and having kids, then you'll have three unique roles in your life. And here they are. A child to your parents, 
a spouse to your spouse and parents to your kids. And some of you might only get one, and that's fine. Some of you will only be a child to your parents. Some of you might only get married and not have kids, and that's okay. I'm not saying that anyone is any worse for any of these things or not having these things, but these are the only three unique roles that you're going to have in your life. That's it. And you might be in a role or you're in a career for a certain, like, long amount of time, but hopefully you pass that on to somebody else. So don't sacrifice what's not unique about you for what is. Don't be so focused on the things that you're working on that you ignore the things that are most important. As as a child to, to your parents, as a spouse to your spouse, as a parent to your kids, don't sacrifice that. Be willing to ask, like, what does it look like for me to enjoy my parents? What does it look like for me to to enjoy and prioritize my spouse? What does it look like for me to enjoy my kids and to lay some of that work aside and say, how can we enjoy this moment together? Because there'll be a point for all of us that hopefully we realize that people won't know us all that long. Rick Ashley is a, a famous uh, preacher and preaches to thousands of people. And he says that when he was younger, he's about 60 now, but when he was younger, he had people who were asking about him coming to stuff all the time. So like, hey, come and speak at this event, or would you like to come be the preacher at our church? He'd have all these people saying that to him all the time. And eventually, there came a season of his life where he's now being asked, who is the next Rick Ashley? Who is the one that you see, like, out there? That, I'd love to give a job to that person. I'd love to have that person come. Speak. Who do you think is the next Rick Ashley? And he said there's going to be a point in his life where everyone says, who is Rick Ashley? And we're all somewhere on that spectrum. And that shouldn't depress us. What it should do is help us recognize what truly is most important. And it should help us to recognize, like, yeah, there's some ways that I'm just letting this work just get to me and keep letting this happen instead of just saying, God, what are some places that I need to trust you more? What are some ways that that we would say, like, I don't need to focus on all this work. God, will you help me enter into this? Will you help me to recognize, like, you are the Lord of my life, and this stuff doesn't define me? What if you considered life like a treadmill? And yeah, for those six days or even six and a half days, maybe you could only do a couple hours a week at first where you just step off a little bit, but you thought of the life just as this treadmill and you're running and running and running and running and running, but for a few hours a certain day of the week, you just step off the treadmill. You say, look, I ran 40 miles. That's a good job. I'll get on it again Monday morning. But for these few hours, I'm going to find what truly is most important. I think sometimes we don't do this because we're afraid to find what's actually in our hearts. And it's hard for us to actually ask that question, like what is it that is keeping me from resting right now? St. Augustine says this beautifully, How can you draw close to God when you're far off from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself and that I may know thee. And this is like 1,800 years before technology and iPhones and everything. This has been a problem forever. God, grant me 
that I might know myself, that I may know thee. What does it look like for you to enter into the rest of God? To say that, yes, the way this world is headed, just the pace that everyone seems to be at, it's not healthy, and sometimes I'm just going to hit time out and think about what ultimately really matters to allow God to work on my heart, to convict me, to ask that question, what would bring about more joy in my life? What would it look like for you to enter into the rest of God? I'm going to read from Matthew again, Matthew chapter 11. I'd love for you to stand as we read this, and the worship team, if you guys could come up on stage, and they're going to play the song, No Longer Slaves. And I hope that we all recognize that we aren't slaves to the way that we often can define ourselves. So Jesus says to all of us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. Father, may we enter into the rest that you have for us. May we understand that rest is not about us perfecting a work-life balance or finding a stress-free life. May we understand that your rest is with us even when we are stressed. May we find your peace in the midst of all the things that are going on. I don't even know the burdens that we all have in this room. But on different levels, we all are weary. May we hear this very simple call from your son. Come, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. May we be willing to ask the hard question of ourselves, what is it that is keeping me from resting? that we may more fully enter into the life that you're calling us to. Your son, Jesus, and I pray. Amen. Let's sing together.